0: You're listening to Work in Progress. I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Work in Progress explores the rapidly changing workplace through conversations with innovators, educators, and decision makers, people with solutions to today's workforce challenges. Recently, I had the opportunity to sit down with Johnny C. Taylor, Jr., the president and CEO of Sure. We talked a lot about the changes in the way people are being hired and what employers are looking for now in their workers. We also talked about the mid-career worker and some of the barriers they're facing re-entering the workforce. Here's that conversation. The way employers are signaling what they need in the workplace is changing a little bit. and has to because skills are changing and there's a big push to make sure that skills-based hiring is happening as opposed to resumes. That's right. What is happening with the hiring managers? This is who you represent. What are they talking about and about how they can help those employers find the workers that they need?
1: So it's tough. We're in the middle of an interesting sort of transition. right? There's a paradigm shift, to your point, from the resume and the degree being a proxy for smart and capable and having the skills to a different world where maybe it doesn't show up in a person with a bachelor's degree or a person with the you know graduate education and everything. It just shows up. Stackable credentials. I mean, it's a very, we're in the middle of a, a level of transition that we've never seen realistically in such a short period of time in the workforce. So hiring managers are trying to keep up with it. Um, and it's tough. I mean, it's the only way I can describe it. And, and so we are relying very heavily on feedback from the customer, and the customer would be people who are actually interviewing for a job. I know it's counterintuitive to think that you're our customer, but I want to know who's showing up, what's the language, how are they describing themselves and and their skills and qualities and characteristics. It's just, I I don't mean to dance around it, but it is really difficult. I've been at this work now 25 years in human resources, and let me tell you. Even I'm a little flummoxed at times. Like, I don't even know how to take the person who's sitting across from me anymore. I don't know how to read their resumes, for example. When you see a resume that says interdisciplinary studies, I'm like, what is that? If you told me you're a math major or a computer science major or a law major, I could, you know, my mind understands that. I don't know what that means anymore.
0: There's no one language for that, though. Precisely. part of the problem. So if I said that I am a computer... Uh, analyst, what am I analyzing, and I, what, how am I working? What skills do I have? So that goes back to those skills-based descriptions. And right. so, what can you do? Exactly, that's the
1: new resume. What can you do, and how do I have confidence that you can actually do it, <laughs> that you've done it before?
0: Well, that, there's two good questions in there. Is So what are hiring managers asking now, then? And then yes. I'll get to my other one next.
1: During every interview now, we're focused on two things, first of all, and this is new. We're looking at technical competency, can you do the job, but also cultural alignment, which Employers, let me tell you, if you right now as a prospective employee, and you're not realizing that not only am I asking you what can you technically do, but who are you? You know, in a world of employee activism, in a world where you're gonna spend eight to 10 hours a day in this captive space called my workplace, and if you're not gonna get along with other people, if you don't play nice in the sandbox, you can't work here. So I'm looking at a lot of things, just as you're interviewing me, I'm interviewing you. So, first question. What are you technically capable of doing? During this interview process, I'm looking for someone to tell me what they've done, when they've done it, what were the results. I mean, you've got to leave that interview making me know that when I hire you to be a technical writer, that you can actually write. I don't care about what school you attended. I don't care about your degrees at all. Can you do what I'm hiring you to do?
0: Does that mean we all have to be storytellers now? Yes. And we have to tell our own stories? So you
1: took my language. That's exactly (laughs) what I was going to say. The interview is very much about, you know, me leaving here understanding who you are. And the art of storytelling is more important than ever. It, It is precisely the point. I tell people who I advise on this. When you come in the interview, you had better be able to make me leave believing you, a la storytelling.
0: Can you signal those skills with a credential? Because not everybody, I, I, I've been talking for 40 years. Oh, my God, I just dated myself. I've been talking, yes, since I was a, baby, <laughs> a baby. Since I was a little kid. But, you know, people are not natural born storytellers. So yes. can there be credentials and other signals to that employer that you're good at what you're doing?
1: Yes. But the most important thing you've got to do is to become a storyteller even if you're not great at it. Think about it. We don't allow people to say to us, I'm not good at this, so trust me. You know, you've gotta get good at it. And the person who's gonna win out, nine times out of 10 during the interview process, and we see this often, people will come to me and say, here's my resume. Look, I can do this. And I said, well, you've gotta make me know that because you're competing with thousands, if not tens of thousands of resumes with people who say, I can do this. So again, you have got to be able to tell the story. How have you evolved if you've been in the workforce for 40 years? I know you've done it for 40 years, but the world changed five years ago. So you've got to tell me the story. Tell me how this was. I love the movie Hidden Figures, where the women were referred to as computers. And then the computer hardware came in place and they had to upskill and reskill and change the way they did business. So now they've got to be able to convince me that I'm agile, I'm flexible, I'm a lifelong learner. Anyone can put those three words, those phrases, on a resume, but if you give me a story, you tell me how you're agile. You tell me how you have you know, been flexible. Give me examples. At its core, storytelling is gonna get you the job. And people who say I'm not a great storyteller have got to become better storytellers.
0: So- Are those the most important skills?
1: Yeah. Increasingly, we talk about communications. Yeah. Yes.
0: And flexibility, agility, lifelong learners. We've talked about that. And there's a lot of people, though, who are afraid to do that. How How do we encourage them to become those lifelong learners?
1: Right. They've got to commit themselves to it. I wish I could tell you there's a magic way to do it. But long gone are the days where the degree that you got 20 years ago matters to us. It doesn't uh, because the world changes too much in a 20-year period. Heck, it changes a lot in a five-year period. So more and more, you've got to be able to evidence that you can change with the times because the one thing we know that's constant is change.
0: So are there different ways than employers are now communicating what they want and and it's coming through the hiring managers?
1: You see, the, the advent of technology and social media gives you a real opportunity before you go into interview with name the employer, there are people who've been there before and who can give you insights into what the interview process is like, you know. And so taking full advantage of what's generally publicly available, social media has been wonderful and democratizing like information. And so I think there's I tell people, go do work. When you come into interview with me, you shouldn't ask me. So tell me about your guiding principles. You should know my guiding mm-hmm. principles. You shouldn't have. They, you, there's LinkedIn. You should know the person for whom you're hiring to, you're seeking a job. You should know a lot about them. Don't spend the time, tell me about yourself. What does that mean? I already know about you. You should know about me so that you can do spend your me. research, right? Yeah. And you can spend more time showing me again. First question, can you do my job? I am investing in you. If you make $100,000 a year, once I layer on benefits and taxes and all of that good stuff, you're a $150,000 investment Fundamental. When I'm sitting across from you, I'm asking, am I going to get a return on that investment? That's it. More importantly, is that investment, when I talk about cultural alignment, is it going to complement the rest of my investments? Or is it going to, like, create tension? So you could be brilliant at what you do technically, but then you come into our environment where we value teamwork. We are de-siloed. We all of these things. And you don't do that then that investment in you is costing me another investment. So it's just, we have to really think about the construct. If we talk about human capital, guess what? Just like we analyze financial capital, we are now analyzing human capital.
0: We need to flip that though, because there's also age bias. Yo. When a a company's culture may celebrate youth and it doesn't celebrate the mid-career workers. So let's talk about that because that, that drives me crazy. <laughs>
1: it drives me nuts. And I it is personally, you know, when I get on my soapbox, it's that point. We openly discriminate against people in the workplace based upon age. We talk about going to college career fairs. We talk about, you know, let's have uh, coding camps in middle schools and high schools and college. Why not for the 50 year old? I can still learn, by the way. So we have to address that head-on and sensitize people to the fact that if you keep waking up, one day you too will be 50. And therefore, you have to 25-year-old understand that this is in your best interest to change the narrative and the way that people think about it. The ageism in the workplace is one of the biggest, most
0: tragic
1: forms of discrimination in the workplace.
0: That goes to what you said, the culture part of it, and I, I agree with you, and I think there's so many people out there, especially now, Uh, The numbers came out, and they say that over half of the long-term unemployed are people over 45. That's right. And these are people with their valuable skills. They have experience. They have the institutional knowledge. So, uh, agreed, that we have to figure out a way to do that. How do you work with hiring managers to manage up right to their bosses
1: well that's the challenge is CEOs like myself we have got to establish diversity equity and inclusion by the way isn't just race gender national origin it includes age and other forms dimensions of diversity and we've got to say this is a part of our culture period we recruit diverse talent. That means older people, younger people. Black people, white people, brown people, young. Like, we've got to broaden the definition so that it's, it encompasses everyone, opportunity for all. So it starts with the CEO and boards. So we've got to say diversity is not a program and an initiative, it's the way we do business here. The other side, and this is a serious conversation for people watching this, we are all resistant to change. And the older we become, the more resistant we generally become to change. One of the things that we have to talk about is, yes, there are a lot of things employers need to do with respect to ageism and age discrimination. But we also, and I'm one of those older people, right, over 40, we've got to do our part to make sure that we are less resistant to change as well. And naturally, it's like I've been successful. So I'm going to keep doing what has made me successful. And organizations are saying not so much. You have to be willing to change as well. So both sides of this equation must move inward. Employers have got to change their mindset that young and shy and shiny and bright and new is not the latest and always the best. Similarly, employees have got to get their arms wrapped around the way I did it may not always be the way you're going to do it.
0: And the phrase, I don't know if it's overused, but lifelong learner, yes. is true, though. That's true. It's, if, if I was still doing what I was doing 40 years ago, I, I wouldn't still be doing what I was doing 40 years ago. There is no call. There is no demand for it. Well, I'm a lawyer for training, for example, and I remembered starting my practice
1: going into the law library. No one goes into a law library anymore. I can do it all right here on my laptop, all of the research I need, everything. I had to get with the program. If I were the person who says, well, I learned on books in a law library and I have to go to a library to practice law, I'd be in trouble. Yes. It just, it changed.
0: Is there something else top of your mind that you really feel that we need to address as a society to make sure everybody has a good job?
1: What we know is that America's K through 12 public school systems are majority minority. So diversity is coming. We have got to figure out how to hire and engage um, a more diverse workforce in the future. And that means, you know, post this big pandemic, we've got to make sure that everyone recovers, not just part of the workforce, right? Or otherwise, we're gonna have such a haves and a have nots, we're gonna create another set of issues that employers need today. How do we bring people who've been on the sidelines back off those sidelines into the workforce because we need them all? Times past, diversity, equity, inclusion was all about doing the right thing, uh, the moral imperative, etc. It's business imperative now. We don't have a choice. Uh, we don't have the luxury of weeding out any group of people. And when they come into the workplace, an increasingly diverse workforce, we've got to figure out how to make them feel included. So diversity is step one. Inclusion is the most important thing. Because when someone feels like they belong, when they feel like they are included at work, guess what? They take this home to their communities. They take it home to their families. It lifts the entire boat, right? Rising tide, boats, all boats. And so at Sherm, we say, better workplaces can lead to a better world. And that is incredibly important. We forget that person, who now is, has upward mobility and economic freedom can now invest in their communities and their children, et cetera. So this is really God's work. It's more than just getting a day's work out of a person and paying them for that. It very much is about lifting us all together as a society.
0: Johnny, thank you very much for joining me. Well, thank you. I'm I really appreciate time. it. Thank yes, you, same. thank, thank you. you. My guest today was Johnny C. Taylor Jr., president and CEO of Sherm. I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Thanks for listening.